Hey, what's up? This is Rob Caggiano from Anthrax, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Fired up. What's up, everybody? It's JD from Black Label Society and Cycle of Pain. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Ted Aguilar from Death Angel, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, guys, this is Marco Mendoza with Thin Lizzy, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, folks, this is Ricky Warwick from Thin Lizzy, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to the best hard rock, metal, and blues talk on the net. Alright, in episode 136 we've got a couple special guests for you. I uh, kind of call this our Thanksgiving leftover special. We have some interviews we did with some bands who were just in Pittsburgh, um, so we're going to share those with you. And also we have got kind of a new uh, part we've been doing the producer series over the last uh, eight, nine, ten episodes, uh, telling you how to make an album, how to go into the studio, how to record it, how to mix it, master it, etc. Today, we have got some guests who are going to talk to you about how to make an album packaging that looks appealing. Uh, something that I think often gets overlooked, especially in this age of digital media. So we're going to talk to some experts. But we are going to be joined by two other special guests from the band Thin Lizzy, who just tore it up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, had the opportunity to see that show. Bassist Marco Mendoza is going to join us. Marco, also a veteran of several bands you may have heard of, like uh, Ted Nugent, uh, Whitesnake, played also with Blue Murder uh, for a period of time. So he is going to join us uh, from the road. Also... Ted Aguilar of Death Angel. Aaron had a chance to talk to Death Angels uh, before they did their set at Stage AE in Pittsburgh. Uh, from what I heard, it was a phenomenal show. I didn't get a chance to see it myself. So we're going to share those two interviews with you. Call those our uh, Thanksgiving leftovers. And then we'll get into that discussion on packaging of your album. So without further ado, from the band Thin Lizzy, we have got Marco Mendoza. But uh, get you in the mood. We're going to play a song that I think uh, truly, truly amazing song from the album Dedication, which was kind of a greatest hits package from Thin Lizzy. This is the track called Dedication. Ladies and gentlemen, from the band Thin Lizzy, I've got Marco Mendoza on the line. How you doing, Marco? Good. How are you, brother? I am doing great. Hey, I, I got a chance to catch your set the other night. You guys uh, sounded phenomenal. Um, how, how has the tour been going thus far for you? Thank you. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, man, it's been uh, it's been a little hard, a little yeah. tough uh, physically. You know, we're covering a lot of 
a lot of miles, as you can tell, Absolutely. than anybody out there that understands what it is. But uh, um, way back when we were looking at this routing and, and doing this run back in April, in May when it was booked, uh, we knew that it was going to be a tough one. But uh, we set our goals out, and it, uh, you know, so far I think we have six or seven shows left and mission accomplished because the bus yeah. is out there. Yeah. All of us are doing a bunch of interviews. People want to know what's going on from the inside out. And uh, I couldn't be happier, man. I'm yeah. uh, I'm really excited, to be honest. I've been, as you well know, or you might not know, but I've been here for a while, since like 94. Yeah, you've been with the band for a long time. For a long time, 94. And um, uh, for whatever the reason, there was a couple of situations where I couldn't hang out. Um, I felt, you know, the band was losing direction and all that. Right mm. now, it's got all the, the factors that it needs to to move on to the next level, which would be touring and, and uh, you know, taking it to the people, man. Yeah. Taking it to the generations that otherwise wouldn't be able to hear Thin Lizzy Live, you know? Yeah, I know. I talked to Ricky. Um, when you guys first started doing a couple uh, smaller shows on your own, in the U.S., and I think you've got to imagine that getting out in front of uh, you know the crowd that you're getting out of now is a great way to get the the word out that the band is back. They sound phenomenal. You know, yeah. this is uh, more than just a nostalgia trip. Uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's, it's great to hear you guys live. Um, you you as a musician, um, you're from was it Southern California, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, you've got. Um, am I right that you've got some kind of some some real passion for jazz playing is that kind of what you got you into playing the bass? I yeah well it was the other way around I started playing bass I started as a guitar player and then, okay. um, a better and bigger and better organized band needed a bass player and uh, you know um, there I was you know I had, yeah I think I had I had about a week to learn the, to play the songs that they were playing and sing and they needed somebody to sing as well and. Uh, because there was a lot of three, four-part harmonies going on. And uh, I got into that, but it was rock and roll. Later on, as I developed as a musician, and it became obvious to me that this is going to be my career, um, I wanted to learn more and challenge myself a little more. And uh, obviously, you go, I went through the prog rock mm -hmm. uh, phase, and I wanted even more, and... And uh, I, had a, I have a passion for music, and I, I still do. I, you know, I'm always doing something or another. When I have time off, <clears throat> I do my my solo projects. You yeah. know, whether they be jazz or funk or R and B or whatever it is. Um, I just think music is so vast, and there's so much to learn constantly. Mm -hmm. I don't like to stay in one place. I challenge myself, keep challenging myself. You know. No, um, so the jazz, obviously, the jazz situation for a bass player uh, was to push myself a little further, you know. Yeah. Now I, I know on the on the road, you guys have uh, you and JD from Black Label have had a, a chance to do uh, at least one clinic that I'm aware of, and I had a chance to speak to to JD the other night. Uh, just yeah. a phenomenal bass player. Do you guys get to kind of talk talk shop? I mean, I know he's got a very vast musical education. He does. He's a Berkeley guy. He, and a lot of people don't know this, you know, he's a Berkeley guy. He has actually a lot more education, formal education, mm -hmm. music education than, than I do. Um, and he's such a nice cat. And I had no idea, man. We hooked up, um, and we know 
how to do music, you know, which is very yeah. cool, both of us, and we just grew. We we touched on a couple of things, and let's just go. We get up on stage and uh, and uh, open open the box, Pandora's box, and we yeah. go, man. It's fun. It's a lot of fun, and I think people realize that it's. It's not anything that's rehearsed. It's, sure. uh, you know, we go and we were spontaneous, and mm. uh, that's where your expertise yeah. shows. And and most of all, we know how to have fun. Man. Mm. And uh, I had no idea J.D. was a Berkeley guy. I, yeah. I, 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 a lot of my colleagues are, you know, I didn't have, um, I, I grew up in, in Tijuana, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And in Mexico, there's no, you know, uh, music programs they're non-existent you know sure. uh, you have to really have the means financially and take the time out of your life to go to a conservatory and there's very few now these days I've been doing some clinics down there and there's a lot of music schools and all that which is very cool good but when I was growing up in 1929 <laughs> <laughs> you look damn good for that old I have to say but when I was growing up it was for me, it was a school band that got me into music. Yeah, a marching band. Sure, that that was existed, and we used to uh, you know participate in parades and all that. And and to my first instrument, believe it or not, was a a, a bugle. Okay, you know, no valves. Sure. It was a lot of work to play a bugle, man. People don't don't understand how much work there is. It's all lip. You know? Yeah, I imagine that's a really good instrument if you want to sound bad if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. And, you know, we're doing parades, man. And mm-hmm. I was like or nine or ten or something like that. And so we're marching in front of thousands of people, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I learned the, the process of grabbing an instrument, spending a lot of time, uh, the discipline that it takes, investing the time to get better and get getting my mouthpiece together. And, and so I understood, and I understood what uh, what was involved, and uh, and that's how I got into it. You know, it was challenging. It was really challenging to to uh, to get better at it. And yeah. uh, from then, I moved to the guitar, and uh, the bass was uh, it was a natural process for mm-hmm. me. When I found the bass, and it found me. Yeah. We just fell in love. It was just uh, cool, you know. Was there anybody that, I mean, either outside of the world of bass and rock that you kind of set your sights on as far as an inspiration or anybody that really stuck out to you musically? So many. And in and, and all honesty, i got to say, you know, Paul McCartney and the Beatles, mm-hmm. our first album was Abbey Road, you mm-hmm. know. And, and living in Mexico, we used to get things after the fact. Sure. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't remember what year, but my, my pop's, got Abbey Road for us for Christmas and by then we already had my grandmother in the house as a piano teacher and, and a guitar laying around that my brother got because he was the oldest son so sure. he got everything I got yeah. hand me down <laughs> but um, so uh, and along with the guitar came a um, a Mel Bay uh, book of chords mm-hmm. and uh the cool thing about the guitar was that I could sneak out and be alone somewhere, you know, in the closet of my room when nobody was around and and not be embarrassed and take yeah. the time to learn. With the piano, the piano was smack in the living room, so you had to – it was really hard when you had an audience. You know, yeah. Right? And so um, that was kind of uh, uh, paralyzing to me. So yeah. I took the time to do – the guitar for me was a, uh, a natural – 
situation. Mm-hmm. And I learned that there was only basically, you know, seven chords and, and variations thereof, flats and sharps. And and uh, and then I started learning, you know, the simpler songs. And sure. It's like, it became a lot of fun. That's the point. It became a lot of fun, and I, I started spending a lot of time with the guitar and the records. Sure. Well, when I look at your discography, um, I guess the question that's kind of foremost in my mind is, is what what do you bring to the table as far as versatility that allows you to work with so many different artists? I mean, you've been, obviously you mentioned Thin Lizzy, you've played with John Sykes and Blue Murder, Whitesnake, Nugent, uh, you know, the very, very long list of musicians and, and a lot of different styles, you know, you're not... Yes. Um, um, how is it that you kind of you know, you're somewhat of a chameleon in that regard? You know, I am, it, and, and I yeah, that comes up a lot, and I I've kind of accepted the hat, you know, and uh, and I'm I'm surprised that that um, I'm where I'm at, but uh, at the same time, when I go back, I'm not because coming back from the home that I came from, the first music that I remember listening to was big band music. My mm-hmm. father was a clarinet player. And uh, so Benny Goodman was mm-hmm. turn, on the turntable, and Glenn Miller was on the turntable, and all the big bands, you know, Gene Krupa and uh, uh, Buddy Rich, et cetera, et cetera, that era of music, because mm-hmm. my dad was a big fan. So a lot of slamming music, and then uh, later on my mother was also a retired uh, entertainer and singer, and she had her... Typical boleros from Mexico, which is very melodic stuff. And she was a big fan of Broadway shows. So Carousel, The King and I, mm-hmm. uh, to, to mention a few, um, you know, 42nd Street uh, and on and on. Um, I learned that there was, I learned how to listen to music, how to appreciate the different styles. And when you grow up in Mexico, man, if anybody that's been down there, you know, you can hear Colombian music, cumbias. You hear Brazilian grooves, which is the samba, bayon, etc. And all the Afro-Cuban salsa stuff is going on. And then we have our typical corridos, which is you know the northern part of Mexico, the big band stuff. So it was um, yeah, I was pounded by all these different all these different genres when I was a kid. So I think. I don't know. I don't understand what happens, but I know that I was uh, exposed to a lot of genres. Sure. And I learned how to how to dissect the music and understand what the bass part was and the function, be, you know, in that particular style of music. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty vast, you know. Sure. I think I think I understood. I understood that um, in different genres, there's a, a different approach when you're playing the bass. Mm-hmm. And what that function is, and to, to try and get in, you know, listen to Sky Records, Bob Marley, the reggae stuff. But these are definite different styles from each other. And uh, but rock and roll, man, got in my blood, you know. And sure. being a young kid, that's the one that that impressed me, and I kind of started there. But um, as I as I grew older, and I, you know, became a profession, I uh, I decided to really get in. To this day, if I get a call for a different project, I did, I did a, a movie not too long ago, two years ago, and and stylistically, they wanted a, the reason why I got the call is because they wanted a cat that could play fretless bass, mm-hmm. wanted a cat that could play 
pop that could play some Afro-Cuban grooves, you know, and uh, and that's why I got the call. You yeah, know? Yeah. I, I went in there, orchestral parts, uh, you know, symphonic parts, classical stuff, and uh, so uh, yeah, I am, man. And and to be honest, that's been one of the reasons why I'm working so much. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, it's I mean, good, that's... brother. And I tell I tell the kids. When I do the clinics, when I have a chance to talk to a few kids that, that come around, I tell them, listen, I know you want to be a rocker. That's great. But expose yourself to all kinds of music if you can. You know, I tell the, the parents, just blow them. Just bring all this different kinds of music uh, that you can expose them to so they can understand how music works and what it is that you need to bring to the table, you know. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful and, uh, point. I think I understood. When I got to L.A. and and I knew that I was headed to L.A., um, I was ready to uh, to do that and, and apply myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, um, to, the, to this day, I remain teachable, you know, and mm-hmm. I want to learn. I, I, I don't go to any given project close-minded and say, I got it down, this is, leave me alone. I always go in, what can I bring to the mates to make it better. Mm-hmm. I, I understand I'm a bass player and I have a supportive role here. What do I need to do? And uh, pretty easy going, and uh, and that gets me work, man. It's yeah. okay. You know? How how important? Um, uh, speaking as a bass player, is the fact that you're able to contribute vocally? Is, is that? Oh, is it, Yeah, I was. You know, I was kind of curious. I mean, that seems like a huge uh, feather in your cap. Um, it is. Um, I'll tell you, nine out of ten times I'll get the call because they know I can sing and do uh, BV's background vocals, mm-hmm. and if needed, you know anything that's involved vocally, uh, uh, I can uh, I can take care of that end as well. Before they call a, a bass player that doesn't sing, mm-hmm. a lot of the music that we do, there's always some some something going on vocally. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, and, did- uh, so that's a big one. Yeah. Did you um, have to approach? I mean, in, in a case like within Lizzie, where you're you're approaching a bit of an iconic uh, bass player in Phil Phil's work, did you approach that any differently than you would when you stepped into something like White Snake, or you just do you kind of put your own? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. And like I said, every you know every project that comes comes along, I tried to uh, jump in, man, completely. When I when John called me. I was working with John Sykes and mm-hmm. we did Nothing But Trouble. We were touring that album, the second Blue Murder album on Geffen. And uh, it seems like ages ago. Yeah. I think it was 94 when John called and said, you know, there's uh, Udo, artist, a, a friend and promoter in Japan, the greatest cat around, mm-hmm. wants us to get together. And I call the guys and uh, I want you want to check it out? You want to come and play for the guys, see if they dig it? I said, of course. So immediately after I hung up the phone, I got my, you know, I got my hands on everything I could get in Lizzie, man. Uh, videos and albums. Mm-hmm. And everything I could get my hands on for the same reason that I was only, I had only been exposed to, you know, us in the States, we got a very small part of what Lizzie was doing. Oh, yeah, sadly, a very, very Yeah, exactly, unfortunately. But, uh, and uh, again, it was like uh, opening a, a, a chest of surprises, man. And I, wanted, I, I went in there and I 
wow, I was pleasantly surprised at the catalog and the, the music was so great, man. And I just, I dug it so much. I did a lot of homework and I showed up and uh, met Scott and Brian and Darren. And, uh, you know, every song they were throwing at me, I was ready, I was prepared. Mm-hmm. So I, I still do that with any given project, you know, but uh, what's going on now is that people call me to bring what I can bring to the sure to the table. Uh, having proved myself, I guess, they kind of yeah. count on me. The other thing I have to say, John, is mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't bring a lot of baggage, brother. I don't, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have a drug problem. Sure. I'm pretty easygoing. I'm a team player. I'm always smiling. I'm always having a good time. I'm always, I always have the attitude of gratitude, meaning I show up and I'm happy to be anywhere doing music. And I think it shows and it reflects and people think that, you know. Absolutely. But, yeah. uh, Ben Lizzie was a bit of a, um, a bit of work because, again, like you and, and all of us here in the U.S., we only, you know, we heard very little of Ben Lizzie. Yeah. So I went in there and I, I was prepared to, to play anything and everything, you know, and yeah. uh, I think I learned like twenty five, thirty tracks, and uh, and the guys are surprised, you know. Yeah, yeah, they put that yeah. time and effort into the auditioning process. Yeah, yeah, and it reflected on what I was doing, and we yeah. got along. And next thing you know, I was in Japan touring with Lucy in ninety four, and then the snow snowball effect began. We started getting invited here and there, and what do you think about this and that, and uh, you know, and now it's what. 2011. Yeah, and uh, we're doing it. But I got to say, big difference from those days to what's going on. Certainly. Now, do you know what? I mean, other than doing the tour, has there been talk of writing material, or is that still? Yeah, yeah. That uh, that always comes up. It's um, it's the natural process because now it's a it's a viable situation. Yeah, and uh, it's being considered not only from us, from our end, but management and labels are really interested in the fans like you are, you know, it's something in their mind and they're really curious about what if. So we've been toying around with a couple ideas here on the road and uh, I think uh, what we decided, what we came up with is we're going to be probably getting a couple of tracks together and putting them out there and see what the response is. Sure. And to continue the legacy of of uh, Ben Lizzie and and Phil and and represent the right way. That's the most important thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. You want to keep that, but you don't want to do something completely off the wall. But yeah, but, uh, but I'll tell you this, man. If you look at the talent in this band, uh, the credits, the history, uh, there's n- there isn't a lack of writing abilities, and there isn't a certainly lack not. of certainly uh, not. Of talent and uh, Ricky's just his his writing is so so dead on, man. And yeah. So because he grew up in Belfast, he yeah. Had Celtic blood in him, man, and and we just we're excited to be honest. It's almost like okay, let's go, let's go, but okay, but take it easy. Yeah. Take it easy. We got to do it right. But, but no, no, but let's go, let's go. We're ready, we're ready. Take it easy. It'll be done the right way at the right time. So yeah. One of those, you know? Yeah, I think after seeing it, I mean, I, I know I had talked to, to Ricky, and I was very excited about the project, but to actually see him up on stage, uh, you guys really selected well. 
Um, Thank you, man. And he uh, certainly wears his Belfast right on his guitar. He know. does, man. And he's, um, yeah, he, I, I tell everybody it's in his DNA, man. It's yeah. almost like he was there. To, he was participating with Delicia as, as he was growing up. Because yeah. he's, he knows the history. He's got the passion for it. Yeah. Um, he, he, his tone, his tonality, his approach with the music, the singing, mean, he's a brilliant front man. Yeah. I mean, it's all good. Uh, yeah. We got all the components. We just have to be sure that the fan base out there that they're ready to accept it. And yeah. uh, and we're excited, man. I got to tell you, we're, wow. this is going to be a, another piece of uh, rock and roll history here. You know, oh. and to be participating in something like that it means a lot to me. Yeah, it's wonderful. To be honest, that those are the things that are you're talking about feathers on my hat. Those are the feathers that I'm looking for, bro. Yeah. Because at the end of my career, I want to look back. Uh, yeah, you can have all the success and you can have all the money and you can have all this and that. But at the end of what I set out to do in my musical career is to get those feathers and and look back and say, you know, I'm really proud of this and I'm really proud of that. And, mm-hmm. And so this is something that I'm so looking forward to. I do have a couple of solo projects out there that when the time is, is right, I, I'll be working behind, uh, you know, Live for Tomorrow, which is um, on Frontiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Live for Tomorrow is a fun album uh, co-produced by Richie Cotton and myself. And we have Ted Nugent playing on it, uh, Steve Lukather playing on it, Tommy Aldridge, uh, Brian Tishy, Doug Aldridge, and... And uh, it was it was a fun 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 project that's available on iTunes and mm-hmm. and Amazon dot com, and then my latest project which is more on the Latin funk jazz fusion a la rock and roll with R and B and uh, you know worship music thrown <laughs> 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 in there sprinkled in there is Casa Mendoza and that mm-hmm. that came out last November and that's on Mascot. Yeah. And so check it out when you can. You know, go to MarcoMendoza.com dot com, and uh, I want to hear from people out there as well. You know. Certainly. Yeah, I know okay. on your website you've got a contact link there, so you know people can share their comments and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. All right, a giant thanks to Marco Mendoza for taking the time out. Uh, actually, we were supposed to interview him at the show in Johnstown, but uh, I have to say, if you haven't seen the Judas Priest Black Label Thin Lizzy show, um, I have to give a giant hats off to whoever organized the entire show as a whole because there are like 15 minutes between each band. Uh, and the night that I did the show, I was also uh, kind of doing dual duty. I was doing some interviews and also taking photos 
of the show, which we'll share with you on IronCityRocks.com. So I was trying to uh, basically let them come off the stage and then get back out to see Black Label Society and do all that good stuff. So didn't have time to talk to him in person, but he was cool enough to give me a call from the road uh, just a few days later after the show. So big thanks to Marco Mendoza. And now, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we have from the band Death Angel, Ted Aguilar. Ted uh, was in town uh, with the Anthrax Testament Death Angel show uh, early in the month of November. Aaron, uh, who uh, does a lot of stuff for Iron City Rocks, also has his own show, SignalToNoise.fm, uh, was cool enough to do an interview with Ted, uh, and we thought we'd share it with you. So without further ado, Ted from Death Angel. Ladies and gentlemen, on our show today, we are with Ted Aguilar of Death Angel. How are you doing, Ted? Doing all right. How are you doing? How are you doing, everyone out there? <laughs> so, Ted, how's the tour going? The tour's been going good. I mean, it's uh, four weeks with Anthrax and Testament. It's just been amazing. It's the best tour we've been on in the States. I mean, we're all getting along with the bands. Yeah. I mean, it's not only a good tour for all three of us, but it's a good tour for all the thrash fans out there. Yeah. We've been talking to a lot of fans after the show and before the show, and they're just so stoked that these bands are together touring. I have to agree on that. That's you know? this, this is one of the most amazing lineups I've seen in a while. And in a while, and, you know, we've done some shows with Anthrax, you know, in festivals, yeah. you know, done some shows here, and a couple in the States, same with Testament. Yeah. And we always wanted to tour with both bands, but, it, you know, scheduling and whatnot, and it just, timing just happened to be great for everyone, so... It's it's been an amazing tour. I agree. An amazing tour. My my 18 year old self would have been very excited to attend the show. Let me tell you. Yeah. And uh, my now almost 40 year old self is insanely excited to attend the show tonight. That's good. We're getting people of all age range, a lot of generations. Yeah. You know, people like our age and people in their um, late 20s, early 30s, and going down to even like late teens, early 20s. Yeah. So it's good to see you. Uh, um, not only the old school, but the new school kids were into it. So let's talk about Death Angel here in the last 10 years. Yes. Because I was a fan back in the Frolic in the Park days. All right. Bored, one of my favorite songs. Act 3 came out. I think I saw that tour uh, here in Pittsburgh at City Limits a while ago. You wouldn't have been in the band yet. No. But, but so, I did, I've been in the band 10 years. So let's talk okay. about the 10 years. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Right. So it was like almost 10 years that you guys were gone. Yeah. And then about 2001, you started back up. So what happened? What led to the reactivity of Death Angel? Um... Well, when the band broke up in 90, it was done. It yeah. was uh, done for good. And, you know, just by having discussions with Rob and Mark, you know, having to hear stories and whatnot, they've been, you know, when the band broke up, you know, four of them went to form the organization. Yeah. And Mark did his own thing. He, you know, moved to New York and did some other stuff in life. But uh, they, the band's been asked quite a few times to reform and play festivals in Europe and whatnot, but they always refused. Yeah. I mean, their whole thing was like um, ended on a high note and kind of like respect the legacy and kind of leave it. Then this whole thrash of the Titans thing came about, where you know, you know, unfortunately Chuck Chuck Billy was diagnosed with cancer and they held this benefit in San Francisco and uh, got a lot of the old school thrash bands, you know, Forbidden, yeah, you know, Violence, Heathen, and Death Angel. So um, if the band was going to reform for something. It wasn't going to be for money or anything. It was going to be to help out a, uh, a Bay Area homie. Yeah. So the band did it for that show. And after that show, you know, everyone was jazzed to be on stage. And the, the fans were insane. You yeah. know, 
didn't realize how much you know people wanted to hear Death Angel. So I mean, from there it was just supposed to be that one-off show, and things started snowballing. You know, let's why don't you do a show here? Why don't you do a show there? And we did a you know then they we got offered a tour in Europe with Testament. You yeah, know, like a a, a two-week run or something. Labels were coming out and. It just started snowballing from there. Like, all right, let's see if we could do this again. Yeah. So, here we are, three albums in after the reunion. And Relentless, or, or, I'm sorry, Relentless Retribution is the newest record. Right? Yes, yes, it is. And um, so, look, can we talk about that record a little sure. bit? Because that's yeah. the first one I've gotten here in a while. And I apologize, I can't remember all the track names. I was just listening to the last couple of days. Um, really, really good record. And one thing that really struck me was the lyrics. So, who's the main lyric writer? Mark. Is that his Mark? Mark? I okay. mean, uh, there's 12 songs, and uh, Mark wrote 9 out of the 12, and Rob wrote the other 3. Okay. And the lyrics struck you. It's pretty deep, isn't it? it, it yeah. Yeah, because it, it, what's funny is, like, as I was reading them, it struck me like a combination of T.S. Eliot and Robert Frost. Okay. You know, very, very poetic. Like, like it would almost stand completely on its own, aside from the music, and then you add the music in, and it becomes even more powerful. Yes, yes. That's, you know, that's one thing that's really good about this band. I mean, when the music is... It's good. It's great, and Mark and Rob always do a great job of, you know, not only lyric writing but also writing melodies yeah. and stuff. So I think uh, it's I think it's the best work they've done. Yeah, Act a great 3. album. Now, um, one of the songs features a very nice, clean guitar intro, like almost like a Spanish classical kind uh -huh. of influence. Um, who played that? Was that you? Was that Rob? It was actually Rodrigo y Gabriela. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell I me mean, more. Um, Rob's been a fan of them for a long time, and actually Rob introduced us to them. Okay. And great players, you know, we're like, wow, this is uh, beyond guitar playing. You yeah, know? some beautiful guitar work. Beautiful guitar work. And um, Rob wanted to go see them in Oakland. This was right when we were writing Relentless Retribution, and uh, Rob got a hold of Alex Skolnick, who knows them, and... Um, got their contact info and Rob actually contacted Rodrigo and lo and behold Rodrigo responded back dude I love Act 3 Act 3 is one of my favorite records yeah. blah 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 he's a huge Death Angel fan so uh, Rob went out to the show met him you know they got along great they, you know talk shop talk music and they kept in touch ever since and uh, Rodrigo jokingly threw out while we were recording hey when when are we going to play on your record so Rob goes, we'd love for you to play on them. You know, gave him a couple of tracks. Yeah. Check it out. And from those two raw tracks, uh, they recorded that piece and wow. sent it over to Rob, and Rob played it to us. We were like, holy shit, that's yeah. really good. So it's powerful. I think they heard it. They heard Claws in So Deep and Truth, like, and they kind of wrote to both songs, so it was a connection. You yeah. Know what I mean? So they wrote, like, the ending, the Claws, yeah. kind of like the beginning, the Truth, or something. It was great. I mean, we're, we're so excited they were able to do it. You know, yeah, great I mean, musicians, great people, and uh, the piece they wrote was amazing. It works so well with the track. Yeah. It just and it really caught me as I'm listening to them. Like, Whoa, what's this? Yeah, kind of breaks you know, it up a little, yeah. but it flows really well. Yeah, it really does. Really well. Now you're an ESP player, right? Yes. So tell talk to us about your guitars a little bit. Like, what's your setup like? What do you What do you favor? The Eclipse model. Okay. Um, I've been with I do I played ESP. In the early 90s I always liked their guitars I mean You know Growing up In the thrash metal scene Metallica played them So yeah. I figured You know And I was Actually the first time I heard of ESP Was George Lynch Yeah you know, the Me days. too Me too You know yeah. You see that guitar You go whoa That's a killer looking guitar And then you see the ESP logo that Which looks killer Yeah 
So I've been following, like, oh, okay, George Lynch uses ESP. Metallica, of course, they came out, big metal band. You go, yeah. well, if it's good enough for them, it might be good. Yeah. So I started playing them, and, you know, the durability is good. You know, I mean, a great company, they build great guitars, and, you know, I bang them up on the road. Yeah. And they stay in tune, and they sound good, and they just feel good for me. I mean, a lot of people ask me, you know, what good guitars are out there. I mean, there's a lot of great guitars out there. Yeah. Jackson would be oh, one yeah. of them, ESP, Ibanez, and you got the Paul Reed Smith, and you got BC Rich. But you got to find one that suits you, you yeah. know, what feels good. I mean, ESP feels right for me, and they sound good, they feel good, and they just sit well. That's awesome. And on the road, I'm just playing uh, one of their models. It's an Eclipse. I have yeah. a custom Eclipse, which is all white. Oh, okay. You know, one pickup configuration, one volume up. Nice, just nice. all white. And, I, and for the second one, I usually go through different, like a brown or red or black or whatever, and I have a two pickup configuration for that one for other songs. But my main one is the white custom clips. Nice. Now, are you using stock pickups or what are you putting in EMGs. there? EMGs. Just EMGs? EMG 81. Active or passive? Active. Active, okay. Actives. You know. Very nice. They give it that, that extra boost. Yeah, a little more bite, right? A little more bite. More sizzle and cleaner. It's right. a little well, bit quieter. Deb, we're going to let you get back to the show. Thank you so much for taking time to do the interview. Thank today. you very much, Appreciate man. It. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Ted Aguilar with Aaron uh, from Death Angel. Uh, special thanks to Ted for coming on the show. Also, for those of you who aren't familiar with Death Angel and didn't get a chance to check them out with Anthrax and Testament, I have to say I highly recommend it. Uh, as we were getting ready for the, the Testament Anthrax uh, Death Angel show to come to town, we had done a lot of interviews, if you might recall, with Frank Bellow of of uh, Anthrax and uh, just done a lot of listening to all those bands to kind of get in the mood for it uh, and I went and got a copy of the latest Death Angel album and I have to say Death Angel was a band that I think I overlooked personally back in that thrash era you had kind of the big four and then you had Testament and Overkill and Exodus and bands like that but Death Angel kind of easily got lost in the shuffle maybe at least in my catalog so it was really cool to kind of dust some of that old material off as well as the new material so I uh, gotta highly recommend checking them out, and I believe they have a new album slated for 2012 as well. So maybe we'll get them back around in a show sooner than later. And I think we'll use that as a great segue into our Ring Report. The Cast Iron Ring, as many of you may know, is a new collaboration of many metal podcasts getting together uh, to kind of present a united front and also to provide listeners with what we believe is really quality content. So, just as a real quick update, of what's going on on the Cast Iron Ring? I'll start you off with Aaron's show, which is Signal to Noise. Again, go to castironring.com. You can get to all these links to all the shows, all the episodes. You can stream them right from that. Also, if you've got a mobile phone, castironring.com. You can play it right in our uh, web interface, which is very, very well uh, enabled for iPhones and Android devices. You don't have to scroll left and right and up and down. It's all right there, very slick format for you. Aaron also interviewed Rob from the band Anthrax. Rob was the producer of Worship Music. Um, so Aaron sat down with him, and it was kind of, uh, I think, a really cool interview. Uh, you may have caught Radioactive Metal's interview with Rob as well. They did a, an interview uh, a few episodes back talking about how the tour was going and uh, the band and things like that. Aaron's interview was a little bit unique in that he talked more about Rob's role as the producer of worship music. So you want to check that out on Focus on Metal. Also on Focus on Metal, uh, Scott, as you know, uh, likes to break down albums from bow to stern. So he's taken worship music, uh, he and Julian, and kind of gone through that album track by track and given you their opinion. So I'm going to check that out as well. And Radioactive Metal has got a new episode out, episode 191, called Win, Lose, or Draw, 
which uh, I've listened to most of myself, what they've done is basically, it's kind of a cool concept, is how have bands followed up their big album? How did Metallica follow up the Black Album? How did Megadeth follow up Rust in Peace? Uh, that kind of topic. So they take uh, some bands uh, and, and kind of look at that. You know, how do they, you know, I don't want to call it a sophomore effort because a lot of bands kind of lay an egg on their second album, but how do they do after the massive album? So that's Radioactive Metal. So head over to castironring.com. One address will get you to all these shows, and I can promise you for anybody who out there who's listened to Radioactive Metal or Focus on Metal, um, Dario Psycho has been a host on both of those in the past, and he is getting ready to unleash his new show on the Cast Iron Ring very, very soon. So watch for some more episodes and new podcasts on the Cast Iron Ring as well. So without further ado, speaking of Mr. Psycho, just full of segues today, he and Rock from the band or from the podcast, I'm sorry, Radioactive Metal, got together with Aaron. Uh, both Rock and Dario, by trade, are graphic designers. Uh, Dario is responsible for a lot of the really cool graphics you see on not only IronCityRocks.com but CastIronRing.com. Um, so I thought these these guys, they know their stuff. So they're going to sit down with Aaron and talk about it. Now that you've got your album done and you've got a CD, how do you make the package look good? What makes a good album cover? All that stuff. So we're going to get into that conversation now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to... Um, our show tonight, we are going to conclude our producer series that we've been doing with a talk with a couple of graphic artists, and we're going to discuss tonight what should go into the artwork for your release that you're going to do. Uh, so I have two um, two artists who are also happen to be, um, I guess, members of some sister podcasts of ours. We have Rock over at Radioactive Metal. How you doing, Rock? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. And we also have Dario um, and a yet-to-be-named project that we'll be all learning about here very soon. So how are you doing, Dario? I'm pretty good. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Excellent, excellent. All right, so guys, as artists, what do you think would be the key, um, the, the key thing for a band to include in their album art? Like, like what, what, are, what are some basics we should start with here when you're thinking about album art? You know what? If you're one of the richest bands, just go with the black cover. Oh, that's, that's all you have to do. It's, it's the total afterthought. Because <laughs> that's there's your budget, right? <laughs> and embed some snake in it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, hopefully when you're going into a recording studio and just before you even, uh, you know, uh, vis- you kind of have a concept of what your music going to be going to be to sound like, and um, you know, you sort of have a vision of what you want. And I would hope that you consult with an artist if you have chosen one. Um, ahead of time so that um, he knows kind of, uh, you know, has a, maybe a sample of your music itself. It kind of helps. Uh, I know I've talked about, uh, uh, you know, album artwork recently on Focus on Metal as a guest speaker there. And, um, you know, I really like when uh, the music uh, can be, uh, you know, and vice versa, artwork and music work together. You know, I was talking about uh, Master of Puppets Metallicas and how well that worked together. And you know, I don't, I don't know the inside of the story there. Uh, you know, when they acquired the the, the artwork, and uh, maybe it was before they started, maybe afterwards. But I would imagine that it's it's a pretty good idea to have, you know, to have an idea of a concept of what you want your 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 you know your cover to look like. Yeah, I totally agree. Because uh, that's that's the thing. It's picking the right artist. Really, <laughs> you got you got to know what that artist is capable of first of all. 
And uh, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt that you get an artist that who's actually into heavy metal. Yeah, that's a good point too. You know, because that's that's something I've seen before where a band will pick an artist, but the artist has no clue. You know, what's what makes a good heavy metal uh, cover, and then they'll just do whatever. They'll listen to the lyrics and stuff, and then it just goes into a direction that you know the the band just doesn't didn't even think about and it sometimes it just doesn't work so that's the thing you got you got to really talk with your artist and really tell them what you're looking for but without being too specific because you want to let the artist be creative also because if you're too specific in what you want then it just becomes like uh you know this this is going to sound really stupid but my mom paints okay she does paintings and she did a painting for somebody at some point and the person wanted these details that were so precise that she, first of all, she hated doing the painting. And second of all, it, you know, it was, it, it looked bad. It wasn't, it was her worst work I've ever seen, you know? So you got to have, let the artists, you know, it also depends on your budget. You know, if you have a, Absolutely. a yeah. very small budget, then yeah, maybe you want to be concise and precise. Say, hey, okay, I want a demon with a sword, you know, <laughs> but then just, just leave it at that and then let the artists, you know, let their imagination go. You know, but if you have a you know big huge budget, you know you can just say hey do whatever you know just as long as uh, you 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 um, listen to the lyrics and you know do do something that uh, reflects the lyrics. So I don't know. I guess I'm contradicting myself now. Well, and also, Aaron, you're also probably talking about an artist that's uh, you know possibly working on his debut album as well, right? Right, could be. Yeah, so the budgets are probably pretty you know restrained in that that's true. in that. Uh, so, um, you know, you may not be able to pay for an artist. Uh, so, uh, you know, my suggestion and, and, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of services online these days that deal with, uh, stock photography and you know what, you can get really, really good stuff if you, you know, if you, if, if you, you got your keywords working, you know, you know exactly what you want and you can get pretty close. And then if you just know somebody who knows Photoshop, you can, uh, I mean, hey, you know, I, I again on my on my monologue there and on Focus on Metal, I did mention that the the latest Dream Theater album does have some uh, stock photography on it, huh. which is which is pretty bad if you ask me. And it's wow. something that I I also said that probably if Mike Portnoy was in charge, it probably wouldn't have happened. <laughs> but but there's a lot of you know budget restraints and their cuts are made everywhere, as you well know. Yeah, that's uh, true. And as a starting artist, you know, your probably good bet is to just do some massive searching on stock photography search engines and that and you'll find pretty cool stuff mind you you know (laughs) somebody else had the same idea (laughs) you're in trouble now the the thing is also is that you have to find a a good photoshop artist (laughs) somebody who knows what they're doing because there there's a lot of improvised graphic designers out there oh absolutely a lot of people who think oh i've got photoshop i can do this uh not necessarily no, no, that's true. Mind you, you will probably never look as bad as I remember, and I'm sure Rocky too remember that. You both guys in the in the '80s when the when people were making just cassette demos and they were like freaking you know monsters drawn with like pen. <laughs> it's yeah. just pathetic, man. I mean, it was like a great yeah. free art. <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I subscribed to a couple couple blogs that deal with like old old demos and i'm like wow well, how the hell did these guys make that yeah yeah so. but also never underestimate also you don't have to have artwork per se on the on the cover never underestimate a cover that's that's really simple and just has your band name but a really cool logo 
on, on the cover. You know, you can have some really cool logos uh, professionally designed for kind of cheap, you know, on, on the cheap. And, you know, the, and that would be just perfect. You know, you have a black background with, with your logo on, uh, on top of it. And, you know, that, that could have as much impact as a, any kind of artwork out there. So let's expand on that one. So as you say that, the first, first one that jumps, jumps into my mind was down. I can picture mm-hmm. the down record where it's nothing but the down logo and that's it. So what are, what are a couple examples of that that, that uh, jump out at you guys is just a good example of that? Uh, remember, uh, I think it was Infernal Majesty back in the day. Dario, do you remember? Yeah, I do. Yeah, they, I think they had a cover. They had a cover that had just their logo, black cover. Oh, Possessed. Also, that's another one. Just a black cover. It's, it's yeah, Possessed, Possessed it's, did that. Yeah, Bathory yes. did that too. Yeah. Well, just a little bit of a goat on there too, or something very, very symbolic actually. So yeah, it was pretty yeah. simple. Sometimes simplicity does work. Yeah. Yeah. Possessed is a really simple logo, but it's. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's beautiful. And it's one of the best, the, one of the best logos out there. I think I've always loved it, and it's just it's it's got impact, and you know it's on the black cover, and you you know you can't miss it, and you know exactly what you're in for. <laughs> well, and I want to touch back on on that point too, because I, I believe Dara, you brought up about making the the, the cover art go with the music, mm-hmm. and when you said that, what popped into my mind immediately was Molly Hatchet, and I'll s- tell you why because they don't go with their covers. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you guys know what I'm talking about. You no, I think I, I can visualize some of this. I was wondering where you were going with this. Well, because because the the artist who was doing the um, the Molly Hatchet isn't he the same guy that either did Love Gun or oh who, Ken who, Kelly? Yeah, was it Ken Kelly? I, I don't know. Who? I know he did Love Gun and Destroyer. Okay, that's I think that's who I'm thinking about because it looks like it looks like his kind of fantasy art because. Molly Hatchet records looked like uh, some of their album covers to me looked like Manowar album covers. Yes, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So and I love Manowar, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I saw the Molly Hatchet. You pick up a Molly Hatchet record, and I'm like, okay, Molly Hatchet. You know, interesting. This is, is this like a Lizzie Borden kind of thing? You know, Molly Hatchet. And then you see this great looking album cover, and then you get the music. I'm like, what the hell? Like it yeah, totally you know did not go in my mind. Like, like the the artwork was stronger than the music to me. I'm not going to say I don't like Molly Hatchie because I definitely enjoy some of their tunes, but the 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 cover made them appear in my mind differently. Like they should sound differently. Yeah, you're probably right there. But you know what? I, I'll, I'll tell you something. These days, as a unknown artist, you're doesn't matter what's on your cover. You're probably never going to find an impulse uh, buyer. They're going to sample your music. So you're going to have to make your music available in some kind of streaming format and that for people to. I mean, this happens with well known bands, as, as you guys all know. You don't, you don't think you're going to get any music. impulse buyers nowadays? You know, you Pardon really, me? You really don't think I, I'm raising my hand here. I, I am. <laughs> you still. You do? See, I do oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Is it based on, on what? Is it based on the labels? Uh, you know, that has the band on? Is it is it on the cover itself? or uh, For me, it's the cover. I uh, look at song titles and the name of the band. I I am I'm with Rock 100 percent on that. Really? I'll yes, tell you. That's, that's, how, that's how I discovered pathology. Well, that's no, no. This is how this is how it used to work for me, guys, in the way in the past. But I, no, I don't do those impulsive buys anymore. Well, you don't you don't go in stores anymore. Well, that's true. There's, there's there are no such thing as stores. There are online stores, and if you do want to, you know, you probably sample the music right there. Oh yeah, definitely. It's pretty much any site. So. 
the the whole like name the name cover thing that's how I found a band called um, A Place to Bury Strangers okay and, like you don't walk away from a name like that you know like, <laughs> like you, you hear a name like that you're like oh I've got to check this out and and <laughs> the, the music is not is it's not as heavy as the name could possibly lead, lead you to believe but the um, the guy who's in the band he has an, um, an effects company called Death was it, Death by Audio but he makes some of the most outrageous, like boutique guitar effects, just crazy, crazy sounds. Yeah. So picture like like an updated Sonic Youth kind of thing. So it's kind of like like an like a noise avant garde rock thing. I enjoy it. I've, I've actually really really enjoyed their records. But but they're 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 a good example for me of you know I just heard the name of Place to Bury Strangers. I'm like I've got to check this out. You know. <laughs> Yeah, this like like I said earlier, that's how I discovered pathology. Really, uh, just yeah, I saw saw the logo, saw the saw the cover, and was like, oh damn, I gotta check this out. This this sounds too good to be true, you know. And I loved it. Well, I bought uh, Reek of Putrefaction by Carcass that that same way, but oh, and, yeah. and, then, and then it turned out that the cover was banned, <laughs> but it was it was just so grotesque that you just uh, had to buy it. <laughs> it exactly. doesn't matter, and the price was, was super expensive, and I had it on vinyl for a long time. Uh, Oh wow! <laughs> so let's let's touch on that. So, how much do you think shock value could be a selling point for record albums? Because I remember back in the day, like like the very the very early Cannibal Corpse records, um, was it Butchered at Birth or Two in the Mut- mm-hmm. Mutilated that was one of the big controversial ones? Eaten back. To, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The they, they all had enough controversy on yeah, them, yeah. surrounding them. Now that all I see that, yeah. But compared to, I mean, some of the stuff that you can see these days, I mean, these are. You know, yeah. kind of lame, actually. <laughs> and I never understood the, uh, the, you know, the the reason that these were. Well, so, you also have the name Cannibal Corpse, also. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's a name you don't walk away from. That's something you gotta you gotta check out. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's the lyrical content more so than the covers themselves. I mean, there's there's a lot more stuff uh, that's way more brutal these days. That's actually photography mm-hmm. uh, based, which. Uh, you know, can be pretty repulsive. Well, do, Dario, do you remember when the carcass put out the "Wake Up and Smell the Carcass"? Yep. When it, when it first came out, it was a black the the, the CD cover was oh, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. totally black because on the cover it's a it's a shot of uh, I guess of a JFK in the morgue with uh, with his uh, hole in his with the in his with head. the hole in the head. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah so so they had they had that completely covered, and it's not until you got home that you you got yeah. it. Yeah. The now, second now, album now, was that the same way. It was a gatefold. So it was a completely, uh, you know, I don't even remember. I never had the second album, but I do remember seeing it. It was uh, nothing nondescript pretty much on the front and until you opened it. And then you go, oh, okay, that's where it went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but also, like, like, like I was saying, it would wake up and smell the carcass. Back, back, back then, it had a totally black cover. Now, you, you buy the reissues now, it's totally on the cover. There's, it, nothing's well, yeah, it black. is, yeah. I, I bought a reissue of the first album on the CD. Not the same. I mean, it is identical to what the uh, vinyl was, but just the whole impact of seeing it on twelve inches instead of you know, yeah, worn yeah So, so shock value these days. I don't know if, if such yeah, a thing exists anymore. No, nah, not really. I think there's just too much of it, and and then also plus the the uh, the last thirty forty years of metal, you know, put together. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. I, I, I honestly, I don't think people really notice covers as much anymore because they, you know, in digital format, they just don't have the same impact. 
That's true. You know, I said that that really brings up a good point too, because um, you know, with digital, can you can you pick out pick things out of a lineup now from a cover? I mean, think about the days, you know, because I mean, I I grew up with Kiss back in the eighties. I mean. Destroyer still stands out in my mind. I could see like a corner of that and probably identify it. Be like, oh, that's mm-hmm. the Destroyer cover. You know, <laughs> um, do you think that's something that's getting lost on the on the the new music consumers nowadays? Like be, having that impact to the artwork. Yeah, I don't think there's as much value placed on the artwork anymore. Uh, and a lot of it is clearly you can tell that it's clearly done after having just a couple of uh, you know tutorials in Photoshop and somebody's doing that. <laughs> and, and and as far as like black metal, <laughs> talk about minimalistic in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Black and white pictures slapped on the cover. That's yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, gosh, I, I wish you would do, you know, but vinyl making a comeback, uh, I guess you would hope that the covers would be as important as they used to be, but I, I don't think they are. I mean, you look at the new releases now on vinyl and, I mean, a lot of them have pretty generic covers, also. Mm-hmm. So you know, whether you see it on the CD or on the or on, on an on an LP, you know, it, it just doesn't have any impact, really. And do you guys remember when uh, you know when iTunes came out with this whole iTunes LP, and you were supposed to be able to buy a full album and to have all the artwork with liner notes and you know a full screen on your computer? Which you know, I mean, in case of our modern technology, some of our monitors, I mean, they've grown in size considerably. Mm-hmm. Full full size screen of of albums with that you know DLP thing that uh, that would have been super cool, but I just don't see that, and there was no really it never really took off. No, because you never remember that. Yeah, I remember. I've I've never really seen anything of it either. Maybe one or one or two bands here and there, uh, but nothing significant. But no, nobody buys albums anymore on iTunes. They just buy the songs they like, and that's it. Yeah, that's that. That's that's. Well, a, yeah, uh, I guess the you know yeah the top forty stuff has always been that way. You know, well, uh, like cassette uh, even, singles or CD singles and that, so it's just no difference. But I think metalheads still stick to, to majority of us still to well stick well to albums. Do do this test one of these days. Go on iTunes. Go into the iTunes store mm-hmm. and look up look up a band that you like and look at uh, look at the song list and and sort them by popularity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, they're always. Some, yeah, there will be that. Yeah, you can see the bars, you know, as you know, and and sometimes, and, and with the most pop, more popular bands, you know, the the songs that are more more popular happen to be like a buck twenty nine or no or something like that too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah, it's true. All right, so let's let's touch on one last topic here, I guess, as far as the design, um, and we've we've kind of hit on it a little bit, and that's why I want to um, kind of go further down this road. What do we think about like photorealistic or like doing like a, a photography montage sort of cover, like going out staging something and shooting a picture versus the you know the, the old school artwork work approach like master puppets, like uh, destroyer, those sort of things. Again, that really depends on what the band is really wants. I mean. Uh, if if they're looking for you know if they just want to have their face on the cover you know then take a picture and just uh, slap a logo on it you know it's pretty simple but if you really want to do a concept I guess that's when you would hire a uh, a, a good artist to do like a painting or even if it's a digital painting you know without necessarily being original art on a board um, 
you know, uh, it really depends on what the, the ultimate goal of the band is, you know, and, and budget. You know, it's much cheaper to take a picture and slap oh, it on absolutely. the cover. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and it, it can achieve as much as just having a, just, just a logo, like I was saying earlier, or having beautiful artwork. I mean, it's it's all in the budget, really. I guess that's, that's what it comes down to. And also, if, if you... Another point that you should probably uh, talk about briefly is, um, you know, I would just completely bypass the CD format. That's where your big expenses as well, you know, with all the production that production that goes into it, uh, with reproduction of the uh, the artwork. And uh, I would just stick to uh, digital, really. Straight I mean, I still, have a, I still have a stack of CDs of my own that I... <laughs> I can't even give away. <laughs> and I know there's uh, labels are just, I mean, that stuff is just, that's their wallpaper <laughs> oftentimes, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's still to digital. I mean, that's probably, I mean, you want to probably make your own few copies for prosperity and that. But, uh, yeah, digital is the way to go. So going down that road then, what do you guys think of... Um, <clears throat> And I don't know maybe if you've seen this or not. Like I, I still keep up with, with the different services available to artists and things, even though it's been years since I've, I've done any real recording on my own. But um, what do you guys think of the idea of a download card for sale at a band show versus selling a physical CD? At a show? Yeah. Like, like, instead, like, like, like what you're saying, bypass the whole CD format. So they could get a download card, sell the download card, you go home, you download that. Uh, no, no. You know what? I've had the new Opeth CD for for a while, since way before it was released. And um, I didn't pay for it. I paid for it at the show when I went to see them. So I kind of like doing that. I, I like the physical CD if I can get it at the show. And I know band gets a bigger cut out of that. Um, versus like, like a download thing at the show? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, for for me, I, I'm a I'm a collector, so I have to have a physical CD. So I'm not the right person to ask <laughs> something like that because I will always go for the CD versus the download well, see, all, every time. Uh, that that's me too. I'd always r- rather have have the CD and then you know rip it down. Um, but I mean, you know, th- thinking of thinking of new media, the way that things are going, you know, the new consumer. What do you guys think? How do you think that would fare at at a show? Do you, do you think? And you know, people would be like, "Oh, this is great! I can pick this up and you know go home and download it." Or they'd be like, "What the heck is this for?" <laughs> you know what? We're probably too old school to answer that question. I think uh, the younger people are definitely, in general, uh, not buying CDs anymore and, and are contributing to the fact that their the CD sales are, you know, I mean, us old schoolers are dying out and not buying them. I mean, stores are closing, as we all know. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that, you know, a lot of times when you go to the merch table, if you go to smaller shows, a lot of times you'll meet the band there, and what, are you going to get that little card autograph? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And spe- yeah, especially if you go to a meet and greet before the show and that. Yeah. yeah I like to bring the CD with me. I agree. Exactly. exactly. All right, well, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you both very much for um, participating in this talk. It's certainly been fun and informational. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Hey, man, it was fun. All right, folks, that about wraps it up for this installment of episode 136 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. We invite you to check out ironcityrocks.com. Go to the podcast link for the other 135 episodes. We've had some really, really cool guests recently. I also invite you to check out castironring.com, as mentioned in the Ring Report earlier. 
a lot of cool stuff going on on the other shows, and we will be announcing some new shows hopefully very, very soon for you. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. I invite you to friend us, follow us, whatever it is you do on those sites, as we would be glad to make your acquaintance. Also, ironcityrocks at gmail.com if you've got a praise or complaint i'd love to hear it either way Uh, we've gotten some really cool feedback recently from some listeners and i really appreciate the time it takes to drop an email and and we'll certainly respond to any and all accusations allegations or compliments uh it's deeply appreciated to let us know that people are listening and we can tell by stats but it's always good to get feedback and also if you subscribe on itunes or if you don't subscribe on itunes i invite you to find us on itunes Uh, you just search for iron city rocks you'll see our logo um, subscribe if you're not, and also if you uh, are subscribing, I would really, really, really appreciate it if you could take a few seconds and give us a rating uh, and a review. Uh, those really, really help uh, Iron City Rocks kind of jump to the top of searches and things like that, and it'll really help us uh, get the word out about the show, so it would kind of make all what we do pay off, not that we're not having a blast doing it anyway. So, until next time, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to listen, and we'll talk to you soon.